Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This week on Viewpoints. A group of whites ended up dragging him to death behind an automobile right in downtown Tulsa. The horrific tragedies of the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre. Then... There's so much in the world that we couldn't see in any other way except using statistics. The pros and cons of living in the era of endless information. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. What can give you a competitive edge in today's red-hot housing market? Rocket can. That's because Rocket Mortgage can give you a verified approval. It could help your offer stand out. Because when you find the perfect home, you don't want to lose it to anybody else. Rocket technology provides a rock-solid verification of your income, assets, and credit, giving sellers and their agents greater confidence in you. We've already helped over 1 million clients just like you reach their home financing goals this year alone. So remember this. What can help you buy the home you really want? Rocket can. Go to rocketmortgage.com or call us today at 8338-ROCKET. That's rocketmortgage.com or call 8338-ROCKET. A verified approval is based on an underwriter's analysis of your individual financial information, appraisal, and title report. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states and MLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Have you heard of the 1921 Tulsa race massacre? It's likely you haven't. For nearly 70 years after the riots, it remained a remnant of the past and was left out of important conversations about racism and segregation in this country. The massacre began on the evening of May 31, 1921, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. However, the destruction centered around a predominantly African-American area called the Greenwood District. In the end, 35 square blocks and around 1,200 homes were reduced to ashes. White mobs looted and burned down businesses and systematically murdered African-American residents in cold blood with no repercussions. We know that white members of the mob prevented doctors or ambulance crews from attending to black victims laying in the street. We know that some were repeatedly stabbed, wounded ones stabbed by whites with knives. There were drive-by shootings that happened during the night of May 31st. June 1st, where whites will pile into automobiles and go racing down streets in the black residential neighborhoods, firing into living rooms and children's bedrooms. That's Dr. Scott Ellsworth, a historian and lecturer in the Department of Afro-American and African Studies at the University of Michigan. He's originally from Tulsa and has studied the Tulsa Race Massacre for nearly 50 years. And even today, 100 years later, the story is still unfolding. 
Ellsworth is currently leading an investigation to find the unmarked graves of those killed in the massacre. We have the state archaeologists, we have forensic scientists involved, and this past October we discovered a mass grave in a Tulsa cemetery where we believe that these are the remains of massacre victims. It's our hope to exhume these bodies later on this spring using DNA and other techniques if we might be able to identify who these people are. In 1921, there were roughly 10,000 African Americans living in Greenwood. It was a vibrant pocket of growth and had a bustling commercial district filled with movie theaters, nice restaurants, a post office, a public library, and more. It was an all-around great place to live and work in, thanks to the discovery of oil in Tulsa. But beneath the surface of economic prosperity, tensions simmered. Ellsworth says that in 1907, state segregation laws stripped African Americans of the right to vote, serve on juries, or become police officers. In addition, whites and African Americans continued to have entirely separate schools, living areas, public buildings, and more. Nationwide, groups like the Ku Klux Klan were also growing. It's important to remember that in 1915, the Ku Klux Klan had its second birth, its second iteration. And unlike the Klan of the 1860s and 1870s, this new World War I-era Klan was a national organization, and it wielded great power throughout the country. It ran the state government in New Jersey, in Oregon, in Indiana. The Klan was not simply anti-African American. It was also anti-Catholic, anti-Semitic as well, too. What we don't know for sure is whether the Klan was organized in Tulsa before the 1921 massacre or not. There were Klan-like groups in the city. There was one called the Knights of Liberty we know that was there. We know when organizers for the Klan came to Oklahoma, but we're not exactly sure when the Klan took root. But after the massacre, they were gigantic. So what was the fuel that sparked the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre? Ellsworth points to the events surrounding 19-year-old Dick Rowland as the main catalyst that lit the match. Roland was an African-American teen in Tulsa and worked as a shoeshiner. He was accused of attempting to sexually assault a young white elevator operator named Sarah Page on his way to use the colored bathroom on the top floor of a building. What we know happened is that Dick Roland walked into the elevator, something happened, Sarah Page screamed, Dick Roland ran out. And that's all we really know. What we think happened is that Dick Roland tripped as he entered the elevator, stuck his hands out, might have grabbed Sarah Page's shoulder, knocked into her, perhaps her dress was torn. She screamed and he took off. The police were summoned. Two police officers show up. They don't seem to be particularly worried. They don't put out an all-points bulletin. They don't rush to go arrest Dick Rowland. They take a couple of statements and they go about their business. But there was a clerk in the Renberg's clothing store in that building, a white clerk, who had heard the scream, saw Dick Rowland run out, and he concluded that Rowland had attempted to rape Page. The next morning, Rowland was arrested and put in a jail cell on the top floor of the Tulsa courthouse. However, by the afternoon, Ellsworth says that the predominantly white newspaper at the time, the Tulsa Tribune, published a front-page story portraying Rowland as a stalker and rapist. The article riled up hundreds of people, and by early evening an angry mob had formed outside the courthouse calling for the lynching of Roland. 
But the new sheriff in town was determined to protect Roland. In Greenwood, meanwhile, we have to remember this is before there were cell phones and computers, even radios didn't exist. So a lot of news travels by word of mouth. Not that many people had telephones. But word hits Greenwood that Dick Roland has been arrested, that he's in the jail, and that a lynch mob is forming. And an African-American vet jumped onto the stage at the Dreamland Theater, Black Theater, in Greenwood, and said, shut this place down. We're not going to let this happen here. In an effort to help out the sheriff, a group of African-American World War I vets traveled down to the courthouse, but their presence only angered the mob. By nightfall, tensions were high with hundreds of whites armed with guns, until a shot rang out at the city courthouse and violence erupted. By dawn, the mob had reached the Greenwood District. Any blacks who resist are killed. Others are basically arrested and taken away under armed guard to these various internment camps, which prevented them from being able to protect their homes. And so whites would break in, loot stores and homes and businesses, haul out whatever they wanted to, and then they would set them on fire. Perhaps the last death of the massacre, there was a man we don't know his name. He was a double amputee, African-American. We think he lived in a white neighborhood, actually. And he made his living selling pencils downtown and also singing songs and begging for tips. And so he shows up on June 1st, I think, not knowing that the massacre is going on. And a group of whites ended up dragging him to death behind an automobile right in downtown Tulsa. By the afternoon of June 1st, it's estimated that anywhere between 70 to 300 people were dead, most of whom were African-American. The entire Greenwood community was destroyed and the white mob returned to their homes. Meanwhile, a cover-up began to destroy photos and reports of the massacre and restore Tulsa's image. The white city fathers told the world that white Tulsa is ashamed of this, that they'll rebuild the community. Instead, they tried to steal the land where the black commercial district was so they could build a new railroad station there. They were defeated in court by black lawyers, and black Tulsans rebuilt anyway, but they rebuilt themselves. A grand jury was impaneled, all white, of course, and not surprisingly, the grand jury came out and blamed African Americans for the riot. And so what happened is that no whites spent a single day in jail or prison for any of the murders, the looting, or the arson. In the years following the tragedy, white extremist groups like the Ku Klux Klan only expanded their reach in the city and the state of Oklahoma. The Klan had also built its own impressive brick auditorium. It was a city where they had two chapters of the Women's Clan Auxiliary. It was also one of the few cities in the country that had a children of the Ku Klux Klan chapter. They had large parades. They had a huge presence on the police force and in the city government as well, too. For nearly 50 years, Tulsa's white city newspapers, white daily newspapers, the World and the Tribune, simply would not write about the massacre and went to great lengths not to do so. Whites moving to Tulsa were told early on this is not something that you're supposed to talk about. Ellsworth says that the suppression of events fed into the lack of coverage, but also, interestingly, many of the survivors from the Greenwood community rarely told their stories because they didn't want to burden their children with the horror they'd seen. But ultimately, the sharing of this dark part of American history is vital to ensuring that it never happens again. 
The work of historians like Ellsworth helps to better understand what African Americans endured during this period and its implications today. To learn more about the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre, you can check out Scott Ellsworth's book, Death in a Promised Land. In May of this year, he's also releasing another title on the topic called The Groundbreaking, An American City and Its Search for Justice. For more links, resources, and archives of past shows and guests, head to viewpointsradio.org. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up, how do you sift through the eye-grabbing headlines when Viewpoints returns? Did you know one in four small businesses will close due to cash flow difficulties or lack of access to capital? But they don't have to. According to Lauren Schifrin of Revolution Capital, the country's leading provider of factoring and cash flow financing, there's a safe and easy way to access your capital immediately without hurting your bottom line. It's called factoring. We buy your invoices and pay you same day. That provides you with the immediate liquidity and access to the capital you need to grow your business. Because now more than ever, companies should have a finance partner that's on their side. Revolution Capital provides flexible funding options to small to medium-sized businesses that would like immediate access to capital. And they respect your business relationships to help you succeed and grow. Find out more at RevInc.com. That's R-E-V-I-N-C.com. What can help you take advantage of today's low mortgage rates and save money? Rocket can. You could save hundreds of dollars every month by refinancing with Rocket Mortgage at today's near historic low rates. If your current rate is over 4%, with today's low rates, you could lower your payment by over $150 a month, saving thousands in interest every year. With a cash-out refinance from Rocket Mortgage, you could consolidate and pay off high-interest debt, tackle home improvements that could add value to your home, or even set aside cash for your child's future education. We've already helped over 1 million clients just like you reach their home financing goals this year alone. So remember this, what can give you the technology to refinance easily and save money? Rocket can. Call us today at 8338-ROCKET or go to rocketmortgage.com. That's 8338-ROCKET or go to rocketmortgage.com. Savings are based on quick loans, internal data, points and fees may apply. Call for cost information and conditions, equal housing letter, license in all 50 states, analyst, consumer access.org, number 3030. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by the sheer volume of information shooting at you every day? From news headlines to constant notifications, sometimes we're left feeling exhausted and just want to tune out what's happening in the world, especially over the past 11 months. The pandemic has created a constant stream of updates, from daily death tolls and infection rates to hopeful treatments on the horizon. Each of these segments package up snippets of information that try to grab our attention. But how often do eye-catching statistics lead to further thought? Or is it easier just to consume, assume, and move on? We don't ask enough questions. We don't look for context. We're not curious enough about what's really going on. We just want to leap to some quick conclusion in order to win an argument. And most of all, we act emotionally. We react with anger or we feel vindicated. This proves we're right. 
or we feel joy, or just denial. That can't possibly be true. That's just more of the lying fake news media. That's Tim Harford, a British economist, journalist, and the author of The Data Detective, 10 Easy Rules to Make Sense of Statistics. Harford says that it can be easy to scroll for an hour and passively look at the news. But the key to real understanding is to ask more questions rather than less. Just slow down and calm down. Notice your emotional reaction. Notice whether you've got just some instinctive knee-jerk response to what you're seeing. And it's fine. The world is a, is a place that inspires strong emotions. That's okay. Just notice that and then move past it and then start thinking and asking questions. What questions should we ask? Well, they're actually quite simple. We should ask ourselves, what's actually being measured here? So when we're looking at, could be anything from a budget deficit to a case fatality rate, do we actually understand that what the thing is that's being discussed? Do we have a sense of the definition? Because if we don't have a sense of a definition, we're off on the wrong foot. Right? We've fooled ourselves before we've even started. Take the example of the reported connection between violent video games and violent behavior. Before accepting the stated conclusion, what other questions should we ask ourselves? What are these violent video games that people were playing? Were they playing them in the laboratory for 20 minutes or were they playing them every evening for a year? And how was violent behaviour measured on the way out? These are not cynical questions. They're just straightforward, clarifying questions to understand what is the claim that's being made. If you don't understand the claim that's being made, who cares whether it's true or false? You've got nowhere. So those questions really help. Harvard says the public often sees eye-grabbing headlines that contradict one another and point to different sides of an argument. But it's important to go past the surface conclusions into why you should believe their results or why you should remain a skeptic. You should be asking, where does this body of work come from? Why are economists approaching this question by looking at this kind of data? Why are psychologists studying human behavior in the following way? And again, a good science journalist will give you that context, will explain why it is that they're doing what they're doing. And at that point, you can judge for yourself. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Or I see the limitations here. One example that Hartford points to is the blown-up coverage of medical research by journalists. Many people are familiar with the sensationalized reports of a miraculous new diet or how our favorite indulgences like wine or chocolate will actually keep us healthy. But this trend of jumping onto exciting headlines backed by little hard evidence muddies the field and can lead to confusion and distrust from the public. So much medical research is reported very breathlessly by the media. They're breathlessly repeating a press release from a university. The university is, of course, the university press office is trying to get maximum attention. And when you look and you look and you look and you dig down, you realize, ah, oh, actually... This study was done in mice. I had assumed it was done in human beings, but it was done in mice. Or even, ah, this study was actually done in a test tube or a Petri dish. And to read the breathless headlines, you would think you know, that some massive medical breakthrough was just around the corner. You look a little bit closer, you realise, ah, oh, yeah, 
interesting. As with so much of the world, it's a little bit more complicated than the initial headline makes it seem. So the next time you read a news article and the text says, according to this study, or new study finds, click on the link and read more about the research itself from the primary source. The journal where the study is published will give much more clarity and context than an article or TV story. It helps to start by reading the abstract of the paper and then work your way down. I actually want to find out how the scientists tried to find out what they found out. When we view it like that, rather than saying, oh, I want to win an argument with my teenage son about how many computer games he plays, we view it instead, I want to understand the world. I think it's a much healthier way to be processing the information that's all around us. This deeper curiosity is important in today's landscape, where there are so many varied sources of information, each adding their own twist to a topic. And it's not just coming from media outlets, but also on social media and from the bubble of people we interact with on a daily basis. As continuous consumers of content, Harford argues that it's important to question the source that it's coming from. So much of what we see now is presented in a really brief soundbite on television news or an even briefer information bite on Facebook or Twitter. I mean, clearly Twitter, the amount of information can be conveyed is very, very brief and can be stripped of all context. But even on Twitter, you can see incredibly clear communication. I mean, I'm a proper nerd, right? So I follow epidemiology Twitter. And on epidemiology Twitter, the epidemiologists talk with each other about the latest research. They link to the papers. They put up the graphs. They write long threads. And they talk to each other. And you can see respected epidemiologists agreeing or disagreeing with each other. Sometimes what goes viral on Twitter and other social media platforms is not completely accurate or the best source of information. This fast spread across the internet is mainly driven by an emotional response of people liking, commenting, and sharing the piece. The media are systematically biased towards what is surprising. And stuff that is surprising is quite often surprising because it turns out to be an outlier or not really representative of the main story or sometimes just a mistake, something that's just not true. So it's worth bearing that in mind. Cynicism towards new information is not the end goal here. It's to develop an added layer of curiosity to what you're absorbing. What's the source? Did they present both sides of the story? If there's a scientific study linked, is it from a reputable journal or from an accredited university? These questions and more should all be part of the thought process in order to fully understand the topic at hand. To find out more about our guest, Tim Harford, you can visit viewpointsradio.org. Also, check out his new book, The Data Detective, 10 Easy Rules to Make Sense of Statistics, available online and in bookstores now. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. Studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. What are you going to do with your old car? You can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free and you'll be supporting those that need help. 
Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. Call right now to donate your car, and as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy, and your vehicle is towed away for free. Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478. Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. There has been a lot of chatter about framing Britney Spears, the new documentary from FX and the New York Times that examines the details of Britney Spears' rise to fame and her controversial conservatorship that fans have been desperately protesting to get Spears out of. Much of the attention has been drawn to that conservatorship, a legal arrangement that has made outside entities responsible for Spears' care and finances since February 2008. For the vast majority of that time, Jamie Spears, Britney's father, has been the conservator, and Britney Spears has indicated she doesn't want to be under his control any longer. The documentary sees legal experts and fans alike question why a 39-year-old woman, who has, in recent years, headlined her own show in Las Vegas worth millions of dollars, is being treated as incapable of her own care. But beyond delving into the conservatorship issue, though, Framing Britney Spears offers a thoughtful examination of the pop culture landscape of the late 90s and early 2000s, when Spears was at the peak of her fame. The documentary shows clips that include the late Ed McMahon asking 10-year-old Spears if she has a boyfriend, Diane Sawyer grilling Spears over her sex life, Jay Leno making tasteless jokes about Spears, Spears' famous ex Justin Timberlake discussing their sex life on the radio, and a constant barrage of paparazzi hounding Spears during some of the lowest moments of her life. In just 75 minutes, framing Britney Spears shows audiences just how sexualized Spears was, and how much our culture demonized her to generate viewers and clicks. Ultimately, as someone who generally loves pop culture and the discussions around it, framing Britney Spears served as an essential reminder for me to remember just how cruel and belittling our media culture can be when it isn't careful, and how important it is to remember that even entertainers, no matter how successful, are human beings. That even Britney Spears is a person with very real feelings and those feelings should be respected. Framing Britney Spears is available to stream on Hulu. I'm Evan Rook. You heard that safe drivers get rewarded with Snapshot from Progressive, so you went online to check it out. But then you saw an ad for a vintage baseball cap, and now you find yourself checking the stats of that team's second baseman in 97, wondering why his stolen base total dropped after his rookie season. Wonder how much his rookie card is worth. Yes, they said it was easy to save money with Snapshot from Progressive, but they forgot about the rest of the internet. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California, North Carolina, or from all agents. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. 
and the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And that's Viewpoints for this week. Viewpoints is a production of MediaTracks Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows. And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24.